Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we speak with venture capitalist Erica Poe about how he selects companies to invest in and why it's a good time to be in digital media. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg. I'm here with Jack Marshall. Jack, what's up? Uh, not much, Steve. Uh, so it's been the summer of digital media conversations for us, but we're really excited because uh, joining us today in the podcast booth is uh, Eric Hippo. He's a partner at a venture capital fund known as Lair Hippo Ventures. Uh, he was the CEO of Huffington Post, uh, a, a sort of a digital media mind, and uh, we're really happy to have him. So, Eric, thank you so much for, for joining us. My pleasure. So the big, the big topic in media these days, it seems to be, is that we're approaching some sort of great digital media shakeout. Uh, I think Shane Smith was the one who said that this year is going to be the bloodbath in digital media. Uh, as a as a venture capitalist who invests in a number of digital media companies, I'll, I'll name a few: BuzzFeed, Refinery Twenty Nine, uh, Mike dot com, as well as sort of others in that space. Um, is this something that you, is on your radar that you're really worried about? Do you share that view, or do you think that uh, some of those calls have been overblown? I, I'm not sure what what Shane was referring to. Uh, I, I guess he was referring to some sort of a collapse of some of the uh, better-known digital media brands, we, we certainly don't see this at all. Um, you know, our, our oldest, one of our oldest brands was, as you mentioned, the Huffington Post. We sold that business um, back in 2011 to AOL. Uh, then, obviously, they subsequently became owned by Verizon. And that business has done phenomenally well uh, since we sold it. Uh, you, all you need to do is look at the Comscore numbers or any of the distribution numbers. And uh, and so you can say the same thing with Vox and Bleacher and all of these kind of earlier uh, digital media companies um, have done very, very well uh, even after they were sold to uh, larger uh, established media companies. Um, we, we are investors, as you mentioned, so we continue to make um, investments uh, in media. Media is, is really a, a, about 10% of our portfolio, so that's not the major part of our portfolio, but it's a part of the portfolio that we care about a lot because we have a, a media background, all of us. Um, and um, uh, we, we, we continue to make investments. Uh, we have some in the pipeline. Uh, we see this marketplace as, um, as actually just taking off. Uh, if you look at uh, the advertising part of the business, uh, it's uh, next year there'll be a crossover where digital ads will be larger in volume than uh, traditional ads uh, for the first time. And that, and that trend is accelerating. In other words, um, TV ads or traditional ads are going to continue to be either, be either flat or down, depending on which medium you're looking at. And digital advertising is definitely taking off. The, the, so, yeah. The, the, the idea now, though, you, you know, so you hear, okay, yeah, the digital ad market um, might be expanding, but it's sort of benefiting the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, and I guess not even of the world, just Facebook and Google. And that it, it <laughs> they is all the Facebook they, and Google. Yeah, <laughs> it's just them. That it would be sort of more challenging for an advertising, um, an advertising geared digital media company to really exist in this marketplace. It was that it's actually sort of uh, uh, even as the digital market, digital advertising market expands, that it's more difficult. Do you not necessarily share that view? I, I, I don't share that view. I, I, I think it's it's there is a, uh, a rearranging of the world uh, in the media business and in the advertising business, and 
uh, it goes uh, with the famous line that Mark Andreessen, you know, the venture capitalist, founder of Netscape, uh, um, mentioned a few years ago, which is that software is eating the world. And software has eaten the media world and is, is in, the, in the process of eating the advertising world. And when that happens, uh, you have uh, massive disruption. Um, and we can talk about any of these aspects. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. And, and one, uh, one of the aspects of, of that is that the legacy media companies are at a very, very big disadvantage because of their cost structure. And um, so um, let's say that next year the uh, U.S. advertising business uh, in media is worth about $100 billion, which is, roughly speaking, what it is. Uh, and let's say that um, at least half of it is not going to be digital. So that's $50 billion. Well, that's a lot of money. It's not and, all going to go to Facebook and Google. Well, no. I mean, half of it goes to Facebook, Google, and AOL, Verizon, Yahoo kind of players. So, um, you know, half a dozen players take half the market. That's substantial. But that leaves you uh, another $25 billion. Uh, that is mostly uh, kind of um, uh, premium uh, display-like or branding-like advertising, which typically comes with very, very big margins. And we have companies such as Now This News, uh, BuzzFeed, of course, uh, being probably the, the, certainly the largest and the most famous, um, that are thriving and, and doing growing really fast, uh, tapping into that market with you know, really, really very, very good media EBITDA margins. So how do you guys – you mentioned earlier that 10% of your portfolio is media. Um, obviously, you guys are big tech investors as well. But how do you think about those two things separately? Because, I mean, everyone kind of talks about media companies in 2016 having to be technology companies to a certain extent. So I'm just wondering sort of how you think about that and where the, where the line is between those two things. They, uh, today, um, they have to be somewhat less of a technology company than they were just a few years ago. So uh, going back to the Huffington Post, uh, when we built the Huffington Post, we built – we built it as a tech company first and the media company second, uh, meaning that we built every single piece of technology uh, that, that we had. And we had dozens and, and you know, maybe close to 100 uh, engineers uh, by the time that we sold the business. Uh, today, a lot of these uh, platforms that you need to publish uh, in the digital world, you can actually rent them out. Um, or use them for free. Oh well, sometimes yeah, but those are not. You know, if you're going to be a serious media company, you need to have like a lot of data. You have to have uh, incredible um, distribution technology and uh, and editing technology and all that. And all of that can be Licensed. can be basically licensed and 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 served to you from the cloud. Uh, companies such as Rebel Mouse and and others uh, provide those kinds of services. So you don't need to um, have hundreds of engineers. However, you have to have a technology mindset uh, you, because the world is, revolves around technology and your, your content creators and your ad salespeople and all the, these people are, are, have to think as technologists what, because that's the way the customers are thinking. Uh, you mentioned sort of traditional media companies and how they're navigating this, this world as well. I mean, many of your portfolio companies are linked up with uh, now linked up with sort of old media, um, so maybe taking BuzzFeed as an example, received an investment from Comcast. Um, what what is that? What, what do those sort of uh, deals, in your view, uh, do? I mean, do you sort of view that as 
this is going to be great. BuzzFeed is going to be able to kind of tap into that sort of old media TV uh, pipeline that they have, and, and Comcast will get sort of the digital blood from BuzzFeed. And do you think that that's going to be a sort of a fruitful connection? In this particular case, it was actually it's NBC Universal, right. which obviously is owned by Comcast, but uh, but the NBC Universal team, um, you know, is 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 very well aware of all the changes that are going on in the uh, digital media landscape. And some of the things that are going on are really not uh, for them to adopt uh, right now. Um, so what they wanted was to have exposure uh, to this new world. And um, um, uh, so uh, so they made a substantial investment in, uh, in BuzzFeed, but they're just an investor. But, uh, but coming out of that, uh, we, we've developed, uh, BuzzFeed has developed a number of um, uh, business uh, development strategies with NBC, uh, with NBCU, uh, one of them being the Olympics. Uh, so there was a, a team from BuzzFeed that was co-located uh, with the NBCU team down in Rio, and they produced a lot of materials and They're content. They're doing their Snapchat channel. Yeah, the Snapchat channel. A lot of, you know, a lot of the, uh, mostly the social content type of um, coverage uh, was, was done through BuzzFeed. So, so it was great for BuzzFeed, and it was great for NBC. Is that great for you as well as a, a venture capitalist? I mean, because we, we went through a phase, you know, I guess 10 years ago up until a couple of years ago where, um, you know, digital media companies were taking on a lot of VC money. Um, and then there have been questions as to, you know, when sort of when and how these VCs are going to get an exit. Um, so with these traditional guys coming in, I mean, that must be good, good news for investors. Yeah, I mean it's good news for investors in the sense that uh, that NBCU in this case uh, you know made a substantial investment. Uh, they're still very much a minority investor, and um, uh, at, at an appropriate stage. So early on in the life of a, co- of a company, you don't really want uh, strategic money because it comes attached with um, a, a corporate development or, or whatever other synergy-like uh, type of development that you're expecting, and that might be too much of a, too much of a task or too much of a burden on a, on a young company. But later, later on, uh, like in the case of BuzzFeed, uh, those are really helpful. Uh, so not only do they provide um, capital, uh, but all of the resources that we just de- de- mentioned. Um, you know, whether, whether BuzzFeed eventually gets sold to a traditional media company or whether it goes public or has, has another kind of exit, we don't know yet that we're not focused on that. Um, but uh, but certainly, uh, uh, you know, I think you will find that uh, companies that are well established will want to buy brands that are developing, particularly focused on uh, on a younger audience. Um, it makes a lot more sense for them to to acquire a brand that has prove has a proven track record than to try to develop this in house, uh, given all their other priorities. All right, well, we are still an advertising-supported media business, so we have to take a quick commercial break, but we'll have more with Eric Poe right after this. Hi, this is Paul Gigo, host of the Potomac Watch podcast. Join me and my colleagues every week as we dissect all of the latest happenings in Washington and on the campaign trail. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back with Eric Poe. Uh, Eric, I'm curious, you, know, you, you said sort of that now is a good time for digital media. If you were starting, and you have started digital media businesses, but in today's landscape, if you were starting a digital media company today, 
what would it look like? I mean, would it sort of be an ad-supported business? Would it be really niche and try to you know get sort of the subscriptions? Because you you guys have portfolio companies that run the gamut there. I'm curious what what you would gravitate toward. Well, it, the majority of them would would be or are uh, advertising supported because that's where the big money is. Uh, now we we just are we we are just um, uh, investors in Jim Vanderhees and Mike Allen's. That was my next uh, question. Yeah, yeah. New, new company, and that's going to be a subscription business, right? Um, and so, uh, so we like them both. We we like both the advertising and subscription business. But but given the amount of dollars in advertising, this is where you're going to find most companies uh, gravitating towards. Um, so they, they, you know, the the there are a, a lot of different opportunities. Um, so as an example. Uh, Close to two years ago, uh, we fi- financed and started a company called The Dodo, and that company is all about animals. And it's, it's um, animal conservation, it's the environment, but it's also pets. Um, and it grew in the past two years that, that uh, this company has been in existence. You know, it's grown to tens of millions of unique visitors and, and a large distribution, particularly on video, uh, on social networks. Um, so animals is not, it's not a new concept. Uh, there's been animals for a long time covered by media, uh, but it's just that the the the, the way that um, uh, Easy Lara and her team have decided to cover animals is very unique and very appropriate to the change of technology, where content is mostly going to um, uh, uh, distribute on a distributed content basis, where where you're not trying to build a website because it would be very difficult to do so today. Uh, you're you're not trying to get searched. Uh, like on Google, but you are trying to get your content out on Facebook, out on Snapchat, out on Twitter and the other social networks. That then creates a whole new way of creating content, and that's where the opportunity is. So that was just a good example of a company that was you know, started recently. Sure. So I guess the follow-up question to that is how do you view, I guess, the growing power of some of those platforms that you mentioned? Because you know, publishers and a lot of the companies that you guys are invested in um, Facebook says jump, of, they say how high. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's sort of a handful of platforms that publishers are sort of increasingly beholden to. Um, so how do you view that, given that you're invested in a lot of these companies? Um, we view this in a, in a very, very positive way, in the sense that um, uh, throughout the history of media and the history of content goes back, you know, generations, uh, quality content has always been uh, compensated, has always been has always been paid. And in some cases, it's people would, like if you're a movie studio, people will acquire your movies. Or uh, if you're a cable channel, then uh, you, you're, you'll be distributed by uh, uh, you know, uh, Time Warner or whoever, and they'll, uh, you'll pay a subscription fee. Um, in, and in the case of uh, the social platforms that we're talking about, um, they are finding ways uh, to compensate uh, for that content. So it's uh, whether they sell the advertising and you get to share the revenue or you sell the advertising and they share the revenue, um, whether they guarantee some payments for some content. So there's a variety of different modes, none of, all of which are being kind of tested uh, at the moment. So, um, so the, you know, as, as time goes on, these ways of compensating content will be um, much more well-established. Uh, but for for sure, um, it's of the best interest in the case of these networks to attract high-quality uh, content that is mostly done for that particular platform. So 
uh, one of our companies now, this news, which is a leader in short form video news on social platforms, their content is different for Facebook than it is for Snapchat than it is for Twitter. Um, and and they adapt it for the audience. They adapt it for the native type of formats that they have for the technology that exists. Um, um, and uh, but they get compensated. So I'm sure, kind of pivoting a little bit here, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are have like some budding digital media startup percolating in their mind, and you know would love to talk to venture capitalists. What is the process like by which you guys find? Uh, investments. I mean, what uh, is it? You guys are very plugged in, sort of the New York tech and media scene. But talk us through how that works. I mean, someone comes to you and and sends you a cold email, or or you're kind of always having conversations about those sort of ideas. Uh, well, that's that's probably the only way not to get in touch with us is to send <laughs> us a cold email. I mean, we basically have people you know flood our Facebook page and uh, find us on LinkedIn, and uh, and that doesn't work. Uh, you the you have to be introduced to us by someone that we know. Uh, so it's kind of a, the, the first line of filter, if you'd like. Uh, if you can convince someone who uh, is familiar with us that you are worthwhile uh, taking a look for at, or your idea is great, you're great, et cetera, then we uh, will we'll, uh, ask you for a presentation. Uh, and based on that presentation, we will decide whether we take a meeting, a first meeting, uh, or not. So there's, there's, you know, last year we we talked to uh, and reviewed the, the presentations of about 1,700 companies, wow. uh, the majority of, of, of which were in New York, and we made about 40 investments. So they, you know, they, it, 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 it's, uh, there's a necessary, you know, step uh, process in terms of the filters that we have to go through to pick the best companies. What's it like being in New York versus Silicon Valley fr- from your perspective? Um, are there sort of pros and cons there? Um, and do you think the Silicon Valley guys sort of overlook New York to an extent? Or? Well, most of our companies, when they get funded in a, in a follow-on rounds, you know, whether it's the B round or sometimes the A round, et cetera, most of them get funded by uh, VCs from the, the West Coast. And we have tight relationship with VCs on the West Coast, and we send them uh, most of our deals. So uh, they tend not uh, the, VC, the, the West Coast VCs tend not to be the first investors uh, in New York companies. Uh, so that that's our role, um, um, and if simply because that's not where they are. That's not their, uh, you know, locale. They don't have a team for the most part. Um, so, so the, the so New York is um, is a very collaborative environment. Uh, there aren't that many investors. Uh, that's a pro. That's a pro and a con in the sense that uh, you know they, you you have to find the money, uh, but money is available in New York uh, for the right ideas, uh, the same way that it's available on the West Coast. When you are looking at um, companies, are there sort of running themes, either you know traits that the founders may have, or or sort of running themes in the businesses that you, that you guys really gravitate toward? The you know we we're looking for a great idea, um, obviously, and the great idea is. Kind of the, one of these aha, wow! This this is obvious. You know, it's obvious that there is a need uh, in the marketplace, but also it's one that resonates with us in terms of timing. So timing is really critical. Um, and um, um, if you if you have a great idea but you're too early, 
the market's not going to be like take virtual reality. Uh, that's a great, a good example. You're probably hearing a lot of different virtual yeah, reality. Yeah, we we, we 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 love virtual reality and we love augmented reality, but we've made uh, just a couple of investments so far because it is it looks like the market is still early and it's not going to develop. Uh, as a mass market for another at least two years, maybe three years. There's, and there are technology reasons for that, and there are structural reasons in terms of the equipment and whatever uh, for that. Um, so that's a great idea. That's a good example where if you're too early, um, your investments are going to basically amount to nothing. Um, if you're too late, uh, then you fall into that Me Too category where there's a lot of startups in Me Too. And, you know, unfortunately... Um, they, in, in technology, um, there's a first mover advantage uh, where, where if, you're, if you hit it right with the right idea, the right team, the right time, chances are that you're going to be dominating uh, that particular marketplace. Do you find that in media as well? Because we've had you know, people on the podcast who sort of talk about, look, if you're, if you're trying to get scale in the digital media environment now, sorry, too late. You know, they're already sort of uh, – there's so many – Brands that can exist in, in this media world. Um, well, but, but that's not taking into account the changes uh, that are happening all, always in terms of one, the technology, and second, the distribution and, and, and consumer behavior. Uh, so, um, so, for instance, uh, a, a nascent part of the media business will be the chatbots, uh, whether it's on Facebook Messenger, but more importantly, I think in the future, you're going to see all the messaging platforms. Uh, become uh, m- uh, you know media platforms. Uh, so it's all, another form of distribution. Yeah, yeah, they already are that in Asia, for instance. Right. Um, so um, so if you you might decide that you want to be the leader in news, uh, just on messaging platforms. Well, that you know that has a lot of potential. Um, and, you know, we're already doing this with Nadis News, uh, so we hope that that. Um, that will be that kind of native brand. But just as an example, that there's always something going on in the market or with the technology uh, that creates opportunities. That brings me on to a question going in a slightly different direction, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on ad blocking, the rise of ad blocking, which obviously will have an impact on a lot of the, a lot of the companies in your portfolio. Uh, but I'm just curious what you think about their business models and I guess if you would ever invest in that type of company, well, we haven't, and um, I don't know if we would. Um, we just the idea that 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 it's called ad blocking seems, um, uh, you know, not a very positive. Sends uh, the wrong message. Yeah, sends the wrong message. Uh, we we and I certainly believe that uh, we believe that people actually like advertising, and um, I mean, you look at your own behavior, and you it's. I'm sure that when you d- decide to buy any product that you haven't, that you're not that familiar with, you're going to look at a lot of content, and part of that content is going to be advertising. And um, there'll be a period of time that, um, if you're starting to look at websites, then the uh, the the um, ad networks are going to start targeting you, and that that content will be very valuable for a period of time. The problem is that uh, when it's not done right, it becomes an uh, irritation. So, for instance, um, I, I bought a, a pair of shoes the other day. Uh, and you're seeing ads for the same pair of shoes. And I'm still seeing ads for yeah. the, the shoes. Well, that's, you know, I already bought them. Yeah, yeah. Give me a break now. <laughs> you know, show me something else. So it becomes an irritation, and if it becomes too much of an irritation, then you'll say, okay, I'd rather block the ads. Sure. Right? 
Um, I, so I don't know that ad blocking is a natural behavior. I, I think it's not a natural behavior. I think that, um, that it, it also caters to a minority of people who uh, are always super irritated by advertising. Uh, but that's a minority of, of folks. Uh, you know, I, I used it's to. It's growing. I mean, ad, ad blocking adoption seems to be growing in the U.S. Um, um, yeah, um, I, I, I think in part because because of uh, it's a default now on on Apple products. Um, so, but so again, I think it's imperative that the ad community uh, really change their ways in some in, in 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 many ways, and one of them is they have to make the ads more interesting. They certainly have to make the ads more interesting online. You know, banner, av- you know, banner ads w- with a click-through of 0.00001% whatever it is, uh, th- clearly people don't like them. Yeah. If they yeah. did, they would, they would have better performance. So there's something about why are, we still, why are we still seeing the same banner ads, same formats that we saw 15 years ago at, uh, when all of this was born. That doesn't make any sense. But you guys are invested in some of the companies that are helping to serve those banner ads, right? You have a few sort of marketing tech, ad tech investments. We have marketing tech. We are very selective in in ad tech. Uh, So we never got into exchanges. We always felt that that was a race to zero. Okay. Uh, um, But we've got marketing tech because marketing uh, functions are being taken back in-house, and uh, so if you take companies like Percolate or, or Rebel Mouse or NewsCred, um, that while some of the ads or some of the content goes through them, you know, they're, they're basically a, a content management uh, platforms. Um, and so they, they're, they're not really in the ad technology business. So in what way do you view ad tech as a, a race to the bottom, as, as you said? Because... Uh, the part that is programmatic, which is where a lot of technology is being used, uh, is really meant to basically shave pennies or dimes or dollars uh, off the price of the ad. And if you look at the history of ads that go through programmatic systems, um, they're, they're basically a race to zero. At some point, these ads will be, you'll be able to buy them for free if, if, if this trend right. continues. Which is good if you're an advertiser. But. Yeah, but not good if you're a publisher. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I wanted to ask one final question, sort of pivoting back to the media side. Uh, you guys are invested in Ariana Huffington's new project, uh, Thrive, right? Thrive Global. Um, sort of, it's a, there's some details coming out uh, about it, but I'm curious sort of what you, um, what you sort of saw there uh, for, from her, obviously a very successful founder f- for you all. When you're sort of making these sort of decisions, is it like, you know, whatever Ariana wants to do next, you know, we're going to be a part of because she's proven that you know she can be a good good founder for us. Or is this particular uh, company uh, something that you guys saw huge potential in, or, or I guess maybe a mix of both? Uh, I would say it's definitely a mix of both. I mean, you you in our business, you always have to back your winners, um, and you, because um, repeat entrepreneurs tend to be more successful than most. Now, it's not always the case. There's examples, obviously, where second-time or third-time entrepreneurs have not been successful, but for the most part, they are. Ariana is a terrific uh, entrepreneur. She obviously built a a very, very successful, uh, iconic uh, business that we were very lucky to be part of from the very beginning. Um, And then when she came up with this idea for Thrive, it really, not only was it because it was her, but it also resonated. And again, going back to the idea and the timing, um, so uh, organizations, companies, uh, uh, et cetera, 
have a really hard time retaining, attracting and retaining young workers uh, today. Um, so on average, a, millen a millennial worker will stay in a particular company two or three years. That is um, re a remarkable statistic. And the cost of recruiting and the cost of retaining and the cost of uh, retraining and rehiring people is is really become a, a very major cost of um, of managing a workforce. Um, Ariana's view is that uh, organizations and companies need to have a better um, balance between uh, work and life, and uh, need to uh, figure out ways for people to be less stressed. Um, I had some friends who worked at the Huffington Post in the early days, and it sounded like yeah. a, quite, quite a stressful environment back in the In the early day. days, we had almost no money. Uh, everybody <laughs> had to do everything. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was stressful, perhaps, but it was definitely uh, you know, uh, uh, very exciting. Um, so the, the, the worst part is that when you have a, a stressful job that's not that exciting, there aren't that many reasons for you to stick around. Uh, so, so Thrive Global is going to be focused on that issue. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I'll let her, when she's ready, I'll let her describe more of it. But that's the, the gist of it. Cool. All right. Well, we'll be, we'll be watching closely. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for, for joining us. That wraps it up for this week's WSJ Media Mix podcast. Thanks for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.